well, I spent my entire birthday laying on the couch watching football. So, yes, um, I am. I'm honestly, I think the way the Kansas City's playing, I'm really excited to watch them go up against the Niners in the Super Bowl. Um, it's interesting to kind of watch the line movement. It would have been really cool to see Detroit there, but I just think um, you got to get knocked down once before you can really get there. And I felt like um, this is probably where we were going to end up, but you just can't bet against Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs. Like, it's just not a good idea. Uh, you said it was your birthday? It was, yes. Happy birthday. Now, (laughs) as you get older, like I'm probably double and almost triple your age, so you don't celebrate them quite as heavily. So enjoy yourself when you're young, okay? I will. Okay. I'll celebrate for you. (laughs) I can't do that anymore. I I really cannot. Uh, Oilers started 2-9-1. They've been fire since. Uh, It's interesting because it – like. From a fan point of view, it's like, okay, the problems are solved, but that's not really how life works. So all of the elements of the roster that are perceived to have been fixed, goaltending, defense, whatever else, um, they're not all solved, right? Danger does lurk ahead. I think it's less danger than um, people would like to think. Um, when we were having these discussions, when the Oilers were 2-9-1, um, it was I was of the firm belief, and I know quite a few people in the analytics community were as well, that Edmonton was going to make a rebound just because they were getting obscenely unlucky. And their underlying numbers were just, like they were top three in the league. And so it was almost like there's no way this is going to continue. And lo and behold, it did not continue. Um, so now I think they've almost gone the other direction where they're just everything that can go right is going right. It's the anti Murphy's law. Um, and so I, do I think they're as good as this winning streak? No. I mean, we did the the math, and based on my model, like the odds of this winning streak were about 0.4%. And so uh, I don't think that that's really a great kind of strategy to use is to use this winning streak. But their underlying numbers are still absolutely solid. They have actually improved under Knobloch. They give up 40% less off the rush, which is a huge marker for team success. And so when I look at the Oilers, I actually do think that a lot of how they're playing is sustainable. I don't think their goaltending is sustainable, but I don't think any goaltending outside of Connor Hellebuck that's 930-plus is sustainable. So I think that'll regress a bit, but I think the Oilers are very clearly a cup contender with some of the changes they've made under Knobloch and the big boys being uh, the big boys. So uh, one quick question on them, then I'll move on. But I, I feel like if goaltending is solid, the, the the bigger difference makers that appear to be available are forwards. Would you be surprised if the big deal the Oilers made was for, say, a right-handed center or a second-line winger? I don't think I'd be surprised, but I will say there, there's one defenseman I think uh, the Oilers probably need to be in on, not that I think he would ever be traded to Edmonton, and that's Chris Tanev. Uh, I think he's exactly what they need. But obviously with that rivalry, I'm not sure that that's going to be the case. Same kind of goes for Elias Lindholm. Like I just, I can't picture a trade of that nature uh, going down between Calgary and Edmonton. And unfortunately those are two of the top three guys that are going to be available at the deadline. I like Adam Henrique. I think he could be a really good piece for the Oilers, but the reality is, I mean, you're getting depth contributions and I think you probably need to shore up that back end a little bit more than you need to look at a any type of scoring because even if 
if McDavid and Dreisaitl aren't scoring in the playoffs, then it doesn't matter what depth you're getting because no one is going to make up for that. And so I think you need to be able to focus on keeping pucks out of your net so that you can afford to play in playoff games where maybe McDavid and Dreisaitl only get two points instead of four. Rachel Dory, our guest from Staff and Graf Podcast. The I'm using TSN here because it's in front of me and it was up just today. Their power rankings have Edmonton, Boston, Vancouver, Florida, Colorado, Dallas, Carolina, Winnipeg, Vegas, Toronto, and then the Rangers are 11. I perceive that there are more real contenders for the Stanley Cup this year than than normal uh and any of the top say 10 or 8 or whatever could win. Is that is is that your read as well that there's a lot of shades of gray here? I think there's a lot of shades of gray when it comes to power rankings. Um, I don't necessarily buy into any of them um, just because I know a lot of it's arbitrary. Um, I know Dom has a model. I have one, but I think we're probably only the only two people that use any level of academic model to make power rankings. And so I would caution anybody that reads power rankings outside of Dom's because there's, not really any mathematical input into it. So I think when I look at it, it's it's wide open every year. And that's the reality of the situation. You can get a hot goalie like Sergei Bobrovsky last year. Nobody had Florida doing that, but nobody had Sergei Bobrovsky putting up a 970. And so I think at any given season, it's wide open. I think this season it feels more wide open because there are teams in the perceived power rankings near the top that uh, on a – generally speaking basis probably have no business being there and it's probably not a sustainable type of thing i also think when you mention all of those teams seven to ten of those are one injury to a specific player away from barely being able to make the playoffs and so i think when you look at that it's what is your ability to withstand injury and some of these teams have absolutely no depth and so I think it's it feels more wide open because some of those maybe weaker teams are making a healthy run in those power rankings but to me those are not the true contenders like I think Winnipeg is got to be right up at the top the same with Boston and I still have some concerns about Boston what what about Vancouver are do you are they as real as they look or are their expected goals which are far less than their their actual goal uh totals maybe a bit of a mirage yeah, I, I don't think they're a house of cards necessarily. Like, I think they're a good hockey team. I think their true talent is probably, our, like, top wild card, maybe third in the Pacific level. Um, but they're one of those teams that's one injury to a specific player away from being an absolute disaster, potentially. And I think they've banked enough points that they could probably withstand that level of injury and still make it into the playoffs. But, I mean... If you're going in, like if you're Boston and you lose Linus Allmark, you have Jeremy Swayman. Well, in Vancouver, you go from Thatcher Demko to Casey DeSmith. And right. that that comes falling down pretty quickly when your PDO is what it is, and that's the situation that they're in. And so I think Vancouver is a bit of a mirage in that like JT Miller and Brock Besser are shooting nearly double their career shooting percentage. That just absolutely isn't going to last. Andre Kuzmenko has regressed from last season, which a lot of people um, rightly predicted. And Satcher Demko has been back to his old self. And so I think 
that he is masking a lot of what's going on. Interesting. Rachel Dory, our guest from Staff and Graf Podcast. Uh, you mentioned Tanev. We know Hannafin, Lindholm. Um, who Who is the one or two, and are they all on the Flames, uh, targets for teams this year at the deadline? I mean, now some guys will shake loose later as we get closer to March, but... Who do you who do you who's out there that you like and really feels feel like could maybe move the needle? Yeah, I, I think Adam Henrique is a is a player that is probably somebody a lot of people should keep their eye on. Um, he's somebody that I I really like. I do think Noah Hannafin is, and Elias Lindholm are going to be hot commodities. And the other guy in Montreal is uh, Sean Monahan. So I think if you're looking for a forward, you're probably looking at Henrique or Monaghan as those guys. I also, depending on how the next few weeks goes, I would wager that Tyler Bertuzzi is unavailable, but I wouldn't rule out anybody calling on him in Toronto. I think the next couple of weeks is going to be really telling for the Maple Leafs after the All-Star break. And so maybe somebody like him shakes loose. And I would have to think that a ton of teams would be in on Bertuzzi if he were to become available. And I think the Oilers would have to be one of them. Um, and so I think from a forward perspective, Henry Monaghan, potentially Bertuzzi, um, there's definitely a couple legitimate options available. I, I know Frank Petrano's name has been thrown about a little bit. I know Jake Gensel's name has been thrown around a little bit. I think those packages uh probably going to be a little bit too much. So you mentioned Gensel. Let's talk about Pittsburgh because I think we're we're about to see an interesting pressure point for Kyle Dubas the Latang Malkin own goal, the official kind of bat signal that it's over for that veteran cluster. Do you believe that's true? And do you believe they would be active at the deadline to tinker or, or maybe they'd wait until the summer to start, you know, kind of reloading? I think, listen, it's really hard because if you look at the year Sidney Crosby's having, uh, he's in the heart conversation. Like he's just an ageless wonder. I think the odds of that goal happening with those two Hall of Famers are just so razor thin that you almost can't even really put any stock into it. I know it's everyone's like, is that the bad signal? I look at it and then I go, at least the puck was on their stick. Like when, when you're talking about contending, if you don't have a Malkin or a Latang and that's some sixth defenseman and it goes in your net, you're like, yeah, it's probably not our time because, I mean, look, who we have to put out there on the power play. Pittsburgh can at least put out a power play that has Crosby, Malkin, Latang, Carlson, and Gensel right now. And, like, that's – on true talent, that should be the second-best power play in the league behind Edmonton. And, I mean, maybe Toronto, but you look at Pittsburgh, and I think that unless Crosby – has some level of conversation with Dubas because let's not forget FSG is not going to allow Dubas to do anything if it doesn't have the blessing of 87. And so I, I wonder sort of as we get to the deadline, I'm sure Dubas is having his preliminary conversations, but if Crosby says, I don't want a rebuild, like FSG is not going to rubber stamp Gensel um, being traded. And so I think a lot of it hinges on Crosby's belief and, and where you go from there. Although, no matter what, I think you're having a serious conversation in the summer, whether you're trading Gensel now or in the summer. I think there's a conversation that needs to be had of what do we need to do to make this work. Final one, Brendan Gallagher, five games. Is that outrageous? It, it looked like 
it should be more to me. Utterly preposterous. Like I, I, you can't look anyone in the face with any level of seriousness and say we're a serious league when, like David Perron gets six games for what he did, and then Brendan Gallagher, his like there's no option there. I I spoke to someone who's been suspended in the NHL before, and and they I'm like, what do you even say for Gallagher in that scenario? And he said to me, he goes, you walk in and be like, I lost my mind. Like, I'm sorry. And he, like, this guy was shocked Gallagher didn't get an in-person hearing because that was a chicken wing directly to the head. If we're not throwing the book at someone for 10 or 15 games for that, I don't really think you can say you have a department of player safety because they are very clearly not acting in the best interests of player safety. Yeah, it's it's it, I I'm still like astounded by it. Absolutely, Rachel. Have a great birthday week. Thanks for tuning coming in and we'll talk to you next month.